You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in to your Tuesday Locked On Syracuse podcast, Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Check out the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. If you're new here, we welcome you in and also be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. So you'll get new Syracuse podcasts in your feed every single weekday. Again, we are the only daily Syracuse podcast out there. Tim, so much hoops to talk on today's show. We're going to talk about the big man situation because Barama Sidibe, a torn meniscus. So he's going to be missing some time. How is Syracuse going to fill that void? We'll dive into that. And also, we've got a week in the books now of college basketball Where does Syracuse kind of shake out after the first week? Again, it's early. Some teams told us a lot. Some teams didn't tell us very much. But we're going to dive through where we see Syracuse fitting in in the ACC after just one week of play. So we will do that. Uh, Before we get into some of the the hoops conversation, did you see the Monday Night Football pregame today? Oh, are you talking about Rex Culpepper? Yes. Uh, On the famed Come On Man segment, uh, Rex Culpepper. Yeah. Welcome to the club. I mean, that was a layup. The notorious spike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) the fact that that play was was national news, that kind of... And Sean Keeley from Noon's Magician, he actually wrote a great piece on on Noon's Magician about just kind of life as a Syracuse fan and all that stuff, and how that kind of was a... (laughs) Just to see that go around, it was it was something. It was something that that's for sure. Um, all right, so let's get into this this Syracuse situation now at the at the center position because Brahma Sidibe is expected to miss around four weeks. Now, what that means is kind of kind of an interesting timing thing because okay. So four weeks means you're probably going to miss, and again, this is if everything goes according to plan, four weeks. If he's out for four weeks, that means five to six games, two to three in the ACC plus Rutgers in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So I'm just concerned of what's going to happen now at the center position because, yes, so Matthew Gutierrez tweeted out, the frequent lineups we will see the next one to two months with Barama out. He says, Gerard Bayheim, Griffin, Garrier, Dolajai and Richmond, Bayheim, Griffin, Garrier, Dolajai. Given Bayheim is looking for anything out of Edwards slash Anselm, not sure how much we'll see other than Dolajai at the five. And yes, that's a valid point. Clearly, he didn't seem confident in going with either Jesse or Frank for long periods of time, and I don't think that's going to change moving forward with this team. But he probably will have to pick some guy to be the the backup center. And that I don't know if he's got one in too. his mind right now. Yeah. Exactly, because with Marek's history of foul trouble, he's going to need someone to give him probably close to 10 minutes a night. So before we get into kind of what does it mean next, real quick, was this good news or bad news? I, I still can't decide because obviously we knew that it was going to be like an MRI. And when I read the tweet initially... And it said, torn meniscus, he's going in for surgery December 1. That was from Cuse Basketball on Twitter. I was like, oh, shoot, he's out for the year. Like, I'm not a doctor. I don't really remember. So, that got me thinking. Meniscuses, or is it meniscus, menisci? I don't know. Who knows? But I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. But there's such weird injuries. Whenever I see a torn meniscus, 
I don't know. It's like you see some people like Derrick Rose who they miss a whole basketball season from it. And then you see other people like, let's say, didn't Russell Westbrook tear his meniscus and then he was back in like a couple months. And now you're hearing like Barama Sidibe, he tore his meniscus and he might be out only one to two months. Four weeks The meniscus injury is always so weird. Yeah, I, I don't see it being only four weeks. And I think that's just me being you know, internally pessimistic a little bit, but he has some injury history. It's the type of thing that you probably don't want to rush him back given his history. I I don't know, four weeks seems bullish to me, but again, I'm not a doctor. It's weird though, because let's flash back to Sunday night. We recorded our Bryant recap. If I had told you on Sunday night that Barama is going to have a torn meniscus and be out four weeks, would you have taken that versus, like, if you just knew that was it? Or would you have, like, rolled the dice? On? Because I, I can't decide if this was good news or bad news, is what I'm saying. Well, any any injury news is bad news. Yeah. You, you never want to see anyone get injured. But to, to your point there, again, I didn't think there was a whole lot we could glean from when we saw the injury take place on, on the television. Right. So, I guess, here's how I see it, okay? Torn meniscus, bad news. Only four weeks. If it ends up being four weeks, yeah. good news. Yeah, like I'll I'll take a month out of Barama and uh, it, if it's just one month. Now I think it is worth mentioning that let's say it is four weeks and he misses the the full six games. His first two games back would be against UNC and Florida State, teams that you're going to need a big man against so and and when i say big man i'm not talking about a, a marek dolajai 610 and maybe like 170 pounds soaking wet okay i'm talking about you need a legitimate big man against both of those teams yeah dolajai is not a center and i know he he's fine like you can play him at the five some but i like him at the four way way more than i do at the five the thing about dolajai is every year they say he's gained some weight and it's interesting because this year I did actually notice that some guys on the team definitely gained some weight. Like, I looked at Buddy Beheim and I was like, yeah, like, he put on some weight. You can kind of tell. Even yeah. Sidibe, it showed. Kadari looked bigger than we thought. Griffin, I thought, looked pretty big. Like, all those those uh, sort of rumblings about who gained weight, they all sort of panned out. And then Dolzhai, every year, I'm like, yeah, he looks the same to me. He just looks really skinny. I always skinny. try to see it too i try to like <laughs> right. not like zoom in on his biceps but like i try to like look and try to pick up something extra like oh yeah like i, I try to talk myself into the fact that he gained weight every single year and he, he just doesn't yeah and he does and, and i'm not saying maybe he he probably is in reality like let's be honest think about him freshman year it's probably one of those gradual uh gradual Things where he goes from, okay, he gets 10, and then 10, and 10, and 10. And then it ends up being 40 in the long term that he put on over the, those periods of years. But it, it just gradually, it doesn't look like it is this big growth. Or, or like he, yeah. he has put on a ton I remember, of weight. But I remember I talked to him once after a game back when we could actually go in the locker room and, and the world was more normal. And he literally, he was just sort of joking. I was like, so have you put on weight? Like, how much weight have you put on since the start of the season? And this was last year. And he was like, yeah, I really haven't put on any weight. Like, they say I did. But, like, <laughs> like he just admitted it. And then we sort of had a conversation. 
and it was sort of off the record. Like, I don't know. It was just us talking about relating because I'm the same way. I'm just this skinny guy that no matter what I eat, my metabolism just shoots. Like, I, I can't really gain weight, and we just sort of chopped it up talking about that. And I think that's just who he is. He's he said he said that he tries all he can. Like he's always lifting weights, and he was what was it like? I mean, he's freaking Bryson DeChambeau out there. He's getting like six protein <laughs> shakes a, a day. Fed yeah, to him, and then apparently. he was like, "Yeah, I'd step on the scale, and I didn't gain anything." So I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's every year it's this narrative like, "Yeah, Marek's gotten stronger. He's up ten pounds," and they release his bio in the roster, and he's up weight. And he just basically shot that down to me, and I, I again didn't really notice a difference. So point is Marek is what Marek is at this point he's a skinny four that if you ask him to play five does it present some pros sure I mean he's a little bit quicker at getting out to that corner three guy which Sidibe struggles in and all the other centers would struggle in but other than that offensively yeah I mean that's about it defensively in terms of a pro offensively he can make some plays for you and he's a good facilitator at the five but He's a four, and I, I get why Beheim would lean his way just because of experience in the two-three zone, as opposed to the rawness of Anselm and Edwards. But it's going to bite him when they go up against those big teams in the ACC. So they're they're going to be able to get away with this for uh, the next couple games, like. Niagara, and we're going to preview Niagara later on in the week, so so be on the lookout for that. Hey, if it feels like life is all go, go, go for you right now, that's probably because it is. I know that's how I feel right now during this holiday season, and that means you need to do what I do. You need to get some Coors Light in your life. The only beer out there that's made to chill. You know, it's the holiday season, it's stressful for everyone, but fear not. There's sports on pretty much every single night now. So do what I do. Kick back on the couch, throw on some hoops, throw on some football, and crack open a mountain cold Coors Light. And the best part is Coors Light's going to do all the heavy lifting for you. That's right. They will deliver straight to you. It's not just your local restaurants that are delivering these days. Coors Light can appear at your door in just a couple of clicks, and boom, you're ready to chill. Go to get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com, and you can have a 6-pack, 12-pack, or even a 24-pack of Mountain Cold Coors Light at your doorstep in under an hour. Get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Golden, Colorado. Here's the thing that I really want to dive into with Marek getting all this time at the center position, because we brought up the fallouts, and I want to put some numbers behind it and contextualize it a little bit. So... Last year, he fouled out in nine games, okay? That's a little less than a third of the schedule. He had six more games with four fouls. So when you've got four fouls, you're still probably playing a little more cautiously. Maybe you're giving up some buckets, and maybe you're spending a little more time on the bench. So about half the games last year, you're talking about a guy who is is playing with foul trouble to some degree. And, and again, we, we like to... to jab at Sidibe for the Sidibe special of fouling out every single game. Well, a lot of the same things can be said about Marek, and he can pick him up in a hurry, too. We've seen that before as well. He needs to get smarter about his fouls, and it's the same thing with Sidibe. As you said, no ticky-tacky stuff can be afforded now, because if Frank and Jesse are really at where they're at, and I did find it interesting, when Beheim was going on his like attack, literally an attack of Stephen Bailey. And we talked about how that was just uncalled for on the uh, Sunday podcast, I guess the bonus episode we did Mm -hmm. when he was doing that. 
I did find it interesting that he said basically, if I don't play them all season, it's because I didn't. They're not ready. Like that to me. Listen, that's fine. Like if they're not ready, you don't have to trot them out there. Yeah, but if a coach is saying that or throwing it out as an option, then it's probably a pretty decent option. And maybe that's just him hinting at, yeah, like I'm trying to clear myself now. Like, like it was almost like he was saying, okay, here's the deal, Steven, I'm not going to play the centers and you can write about that and how I should be playing them. And I can kind of see ahead to the future, as he said, and I can see this could be a problem. And for those that haven't seen this, go to the 16 minute mark or so of Bayheim's last press conference and, just watch his discussion with Stephen Bailey. Maybe this will make a little bit more sense, but he was like, yeah, I'm predicting the future. I can see ahead. I can see this is going to be a problem. You don't say that unless you think that these guys aren't ready and it could actually get to that point later on in the season. The thing that concerns me here too is that Marek is so important offensively. I don't think we really, I mean, the stat sheet that he put up, in that first game, he had a double-double, and it wasn't with rebounds. It was with assists, and it was with points. So the the fact that he can be that dynamic for you, I mean, I didn't see that game coming from him in the opener. <laughs> like, I, I can kind of gave out the who's the – remember when we were talking in the preview about who's going to be the surprise player this season? And I threw out Marek's name. That's not what I was expecting. Like yeah. he exceeded my expectations in that game, and he really showed the growth there. But but it was Brian. Really I mean, concern- real quick, it was like, Brian. Yes, I, at the end of the day, I, I talked about in the preview pod how I thought that Sidibe, the storyline coming out of Bryant, was going to be Sidibe puts up a double double, and we freak out about how he's making so so many strides. And I, I think that's basically what has kind of happened with Dolish. I, I I still thought he played well. Is it better for him to play well and have that type of game? Yes, it counts for something. Don't get me wrong. It was Bryant, though, and it goes back to the original point. Without Sidibe, it's not going to matter that much against the Bryants and the Riders and the Niagaras. But once they play Rutgers, we'll see. I mean, I think they're going to have to play some of Edwards and Anselm, maybe because of foul trouble. But that Rutgers game is going to be really interesting to see what the rotation is. I think the reason why I was so optimistic about Dolajai, though, is because we've seen him play well defensively. We've seen him get rebounds. But it was the offensive prowess that he showed. I mean, yeah. a, a 20 and 10 for out of out of Dolajai, I don't think anyone saw that coming. So that's why I was a little more optimistic in that sense. But the foul trouble thing is going to be really important, especially because if it looks like Joe Girard's going to be your main point, I mean, not looks like he is the main point guard on this team. And if it looks like maybe Kadari is not going to be getting the minutes that we once upon a time thought he could get with this team, Girard can can use up some possessions and can give you some empty possessions and. I think that it's good to have a guy like Marek out there who can be a facilitator, move the defense around a little bit from all different sorts of points on the floor. I mean, he can do it from the top of the key. He can do it in the post. He can do it from the elbow. He he can move the defense from almost any spot on the floor because he can do so many things offensively. And if you're going to be missing that from your lineup because of foul trouble, because he is going to be going up against some bigger guys and, and maybe get pick up a quick two fouls in the first five or so minutes. I don't know like what what's going to happen to the flow offensively if they don't have a guy like Dolajai out there because I don't think Gerard has that same ability to move the defense quite like a guy like Dolajai does. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know why I was just sort of thinking about this today. 
And maybe this becomes more of a talking point, and I want to just preface before I dive into this. There's been nothing out there about Syracuse going after the transfer market, but I was thinking about the Ivy League guys, and we we talked about Buddy Beheim and how it doesn't seem awfully likely given... Jimmy Beheim. Oh, Jimmy, excuse me, yeah. How he probably won't end up at Cuse. But when we were talking about Jimmy Beheim, one of the reasons why we said that was you got Sidibe, you got Dolajai, you got Anselm, you got Edwards. Like, it just doesn't make sense even without the Syracuse connection. Like, it, there's not a ton of minutes to give out. Well, now with Sidibe hurt, would they ever consider, like, going into the Ivy League market? Because I think it's pretty well known and pretty well assumed at this point that those Ivy League guys, if they want to, are going to get waivers and they're going to be able to tack on to rosters in the second semester. And in a normal year, that might be like halfway through the year, but that could be, you know, game six of the season, second semester this year, given how the schedule and there could be some cancellations and stuff for each team. Yeah, I just don't know if if it's going to work out in terms of the just learning the defense, right? Yeah. Because we, we know this team's going to play the 2-3 zone. Now, I think Jimmy Beheim obviously, is probably more of an exception to the rule just because he's been around it his entire life. But if you're looking at one of these other sort of Ivy League centers, I don't think it, it makes the same amount of sense as as some of these, as a guy like Jimmy Bay. It would have to be the would perfect fit. It would have, like... Yeah, and I don't I don't see that perfect fit out there. I, I don't think that would... I don't really think it's going to happen, but yeah. it may be... If you're Jim Beheim, like if Atkinson... Let's put it this way. If it was going to happen, it would have already happened. Yeah, you're probably right. But I, I do think now that Sidibe's hurt, maybe they're looking at their rotation and thinking, uh-oh, like we've got more of a hole at center than we initially thought. Or perhaps Anselm and Edwards aren't quite as far along as they thought they would be. Yeah, but also it's the thing with with Anselm and Edwards, and if you want to throw John Bull's name into this conversation as well... The thing is, is I would rather ride with one of those guys who at least has practiced with the team for a year or or an, even in Anselm's place has at least practiced with the team for a summer than bring a guy in. Like I, I just could never see that happening. I really couldn't. No, so. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I And I don't know if they would get in-season waivers now that the season has started either. I've just heard that. I, I wouldn't say that's a shoe-in. That it, okay. it's, it, I mean, I... I think te- some teams are going to look like there's that kid Atkinson who I just brought up and then uh, Barry as well. Those are two hot names in the Ivy League that they're probably going to go to some power five team and they're going to add to their roster in the second semester, I think is how people are foreseeing this. Okay, well, situation will monitor, but I don't think Syracuse will be in yeah. on the sweepstakes of any of that sort of stuff. Let's just real quick before we get into where Syracuse really stacks up in the ACC, I want to throw out the question of, all right, listen, Jim Beheim may not like the fact that he has to make this choice, but he's going to have to have some sort of plan in place of who the backup center is because he can chastise Stephen Bailey all he wants, but the fact of the matter is, is history tells us that Marek Dolzhai is going to get in foul trouble at some point during, I mean, I would say this, even without Marek's history, I would say this about any position. You can just find yourself in foul trouble at certain points. Or who knows, maybe Dolajai tweaks an ankle at some point. I don't know. I, like Something can happen, okay? Some more feasible than others. So when you have to throw out the question, who do you trust more? Is it going to be Jesse Edwards or Frank Anselm? Who would you rather see be given that opportunity 
to be that backup center right now? I guess Anselm, because I think he's, I don't know, he just presents more of a ceiling, maybe. But, I mean, it's a recruiting issue, right? Like, the fact that we're talking about this, and they don't even have any options outside of Sidibe as a true center, it's a recruiting issue, one, and then, B, it's a developmental issue. Like, if Anselm and Edwards aren't ready to even be a backup, that's kind of concerning. I mean, I know that they came in as projects. Anselm, in his case, I think is a little less concerning because it's only year one. Edwards, I get, was spending some time overseas. That probably made things tough, and we didn't even know if he was going to be totally ready to go at the start of the season for a little bit and, and get his way back to the United States. So it's good that that has worked out. But I don't know. I mean, everyone loves to talk about the... Do they have the right guy that's coaching the big men right now? And is that an issue that they need to take care of? And if not one of those guys is ready to play like 10 minutes a night, I mean, that that's pretty concerning. Yeah, it takes me back to the comments that Beheim made, what was it, last year? How he, he even admitted he's yeah. done a poor job with, with the big man and the recruiting there. So looking back to the last game, Frank Anselm got more minutes in that game. He got four to to Edwards' one. Edwards registering the, the vaunted trillion out there uh, on the floor. Meanwhile, uh, Anselm, he came in and basically got got time to run around for a little bit. He picked up a foul out there. But, but so, Edwards was in the second half, which is odd because I was actually pretty curious when Dolajai initially looked like he was going to foul out. Remember that? And then they like reviewed it and changed yes, it. That mm-hmm. was a good break. And they reassigned it, yeah. Yeah, so... I was actually like, huh, is Beheim going to go with Edwards for this? Because he played Edwards for a minute in the second half, and it seemed like he was just fed up with Anselm after his performance in the first half. So as much as it was way, way better for Q's that Dolzhai didn't foul out there, as just a general like curious observer, I kind of wanted to actually put Beheim in a position to make a decision there to see which way he leans. And the fact that Edwards played the one men in the second half tells me maybe that he is a little more trusted in the big moments because he maybe has a little bit more experience in the 2-3 zone and Anselm will be getting some first half minutes just as like, all right, let's see what you got in this type of setting before we get to second half potentially. Right. I would kind of treat these next couple games as a tryout. Yeah, I would too. Right. I mean, I think that's the best way to go about it because let's be honest, Niagara, Ryder, you're going to be... A very, very heavy favorite in both of those games. I think Ken Palm has Syracuse winning each of them by 20-plus in in his projections. So you're going to... And, and now you're going to have a, a week of practice under your belt, too. You're going to be a lot more ready for this game than you were for Bryant. So I would say when you look at how, how these next two games play out, I mean, we've even said this with some of the football things. Some, some of these games need to serve as tryouts. And see what they can do in action. See who impresses you. Because, like, as great as it would be for for Dolajai to not get into foul trouble. And again, I don't know if we're going to see him get into a lot of foul trouble these next couple of games. Because I brought up those stats, like 15 of the, what was it, 31, 32 games that Syracuse played last year. Where he had four plus fouls. Well, all but two of those games were against Power 5 teams. So, when I look at that, or not Power 5, but Power Conference in general. Yeah. So, because it includes the Big East. So, when I look at that part of this equation, I'm thinking, okay, he does a pretty good job when A, the talent is not as big as him and he doesn't have to fight as much for these rebounds like he would against 
some of the ACC opponents that he's going to see throughout the year. And B, I mean, I, I just I expect him to to really not get into a lot of foul trouble, and he can register more minutes that way. So I'm looking to see what happens and how he distributes the big man minutes these next two games because I think part of it should serve as as a semi trial, and again, that's part of what practice is for. But at the same time, you also need to see him do it in a game too, and that's how you build a little more trust in them. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. If if one of Anselm or Edwards can step up, that changes kind of the complexion of how I feel about this team right now. Because like I said, Rutgers, that's going to be fascinating to see the rotation. And you kind of just need a bigger body in there when you're going against teams like that. So you like Anselm. I'm actually going to go on the other side. I think I'm going to lean with Edwards here. And I think that that second half minute, albeit just one minute in the second half, I think that was pretty telling. And... I think I would lean on the safer side here because you really just need a holdover at this point. And listen, if this was a long-term season projection that that I had to make here, I would maybe lean on your side with Anselm and try to go for the home run. But I think if it's just a holdover, just a month, five, six games, you go with the safer option. You go with what you know. And, yeah, and that's I agree with that then. I think Edwards right now is a slight leader. Like, he's up one shot going to the the back nine. And now this is a, a tryout over the next... I, that's how Beheim should treat it, and I think he will, including in practices. I think it should be an open competition until we get... And he gave Edwards a decent amount of minutes last season, too. So yeah. I feel like there is some level of trust. Maybe, maybe not a ton, but there, there's some degree of trust, whereas Anselm, I don't think, quite has that. Yeah. All right, coming up next... We're going to get into how Syracuse shakes out in the ACC because this is a team that wasn't very impressive week one. Again, I didn't take a whole ton from that Bryant game, but there are some teams in the conference that were phenomenal, and we will get to that next. Hey, Syracuse fans, you ever get stuck around the 3, 4 o'clock hour in kind of a mental or physical wall? Maybe it's kind of the end of your work day and just sort of draining, and you're at that point where it's tough to just power through. Well, we've got the cure for you. It is Built Go by the same people who brought you Built Bar. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling later. And I've had Built Go a lot, whether it's been on the golf course or if I've got something going on at work that's busy throughout the day. Just help me kind of get through that wall, as I mentioned. And it's also good for your body. It's natural. It's like drinking a monster drink, but a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. You can get Built Go today. Just visit BuiltGo.com, and you can use our promo code LOCKED, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D, and that'll get you 20% off your next order. Again, use our promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. So a big week for some teams in the ACC, notably Louisville, Virginia Tech, Clemson had had a couple solid wins, all those teams undefeated, Louisville and Virginia Tech each going 3-0, including Virginia Tech, a big, big win over Villanova. They knock off the the Wildcats who entered the season as a top five team. They are no longer a part of the top 10 thanks to that loss to Virginia Tech. And then Louisville going out and beating Seton Hall as one of their trifecta of wins so both the Cardinals and Virginia Tech with an impressive win, and then Clemson 2-0, including a victory over Mississippi State. So after the first week, here's how Ken Palm shakes it out. He's got Syracuse 10th in the ACC after week one. Again, the Orange taking a huge dive 
in the, the Ken Palm ranking system. They began the year at 29th. They're all the way down to 45 after just one performance against Bryant. Man, we don't even get the 44 how fitting tweets, the, the classic Syracuse joke there that I feel like they've been 44 in Ken Palm a lot. I did a little ACC yeah. power rankings of my own. And I have Syracuse 10, the exact same spot as Ken Palm. So the teams that I moved up ahead of them, first off, Georgia Tech, they plummeted in my rankings. They've had a, a tough start to the season. Lost in Very, yeah. four overtimes to Georgia State, then they lost to Mercer. And the other thing with them, they've got Kentucky, Florida State. Nebraska's pretty bad, but they've got three Power 5 teams, or Power 6. Again, I made the same mistake as you it, it, coming up here in the – the coming weeks so they could be 0-5 or 0-4 or something like that which is not what people were envisioning down in Atlanta the teams I have ahead Miami played the other night their first game they looked pretty good but it was against not anyone too noteworthy so it's tough to glean too much from them but Clemson Virginia Tech and Louisville they all have legit wins now as you said Clemson beating Mississippi State and Purdue Louisville beat Seton Hall by one they've looked good in their other games and I think you have to put them ahead of Syracuse. And also NC State probably is ahead of Syracuse because, I mean, let's be honest, Syracuse beat Bryant by one. Like, that was 22 points less than Vegas thought they were going to beat Bryant or whatever it was. So you got to probably knock them down a decent amount in the power rankings. Right. And let me tell you this. Team that actually I thought played pretty strong, and again, I think they're going to teeter out a little bit as we move toward conference play because their schedule's so tough this season. But hats off to Boston College. Yeah, they won a game. I mean, they hung tough with Villanova. <laughs> they hung tough with St. John's. They beat Rhode Island. Uh, the the Jalen Carey led Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island Rams. So I I I'm not gonna say Boston College had the more impressive week than Syracuse because at the end of the day the the win total is the same. But I I I too I think after the first week I'm not impressed with Syracuse, but I'm still hopeful because again. No one was dealt a tougher hand this week than Syracuse. Yeah, and Virginia losing, that's a big story in the ACC, outside of kind of the Syracuse tier. but Outside of Jeff Goodman's uh, top 25, too. Really? Mm. Wow, that's a plummet. I don't know if you saw that. that, that that's been big news. Everyone's been reacting to the Virginia, the Virginia loss. Huh. Well, also Pitt stinks. We can just bring that up because it's kind of fun when Pitt stinks, and they lost to St. Francis, right. who's basically a 16 seed in the tournament, it seems like, every year, so... Tough start for them. I I think Cuse is still too early. To, I mean, it's obviously too early to tell. Yeah, too early to call. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. The middle tier of the ACC may be a little bit better than I thought at this point. And then the top tier, maybe not quite as good as we thought. I mean, I watched UNC a lot uh, last night. They kind of struggled with UNLV in the first part of the game. Yeah, I, I thought that was just like yeah. the first four or five minutes. And then they turned the burners on. Sure. I mean... But when we haven't seen Florida State play, we really haven't seen Duke play. They beat Coppin State by 10 points, but that's it. Notre Dame, though, like they only lost to Michigan State by 10. Pretty solid outing. So some of those teams that Syracuse is going to be in tight games with are looking pretty decent so far in the early stretch of the season. Right. And then Virginia Tech, I think the biggest winners of the week yeah. in, in the ACC because, what, a lot of people had them probably – around like the the range of Syracuse is in now like the the 9 to 11 range in the ACC heading into the year and they've done a pretty good job of, of holding holding ground of, of that that fifth spot in the ACC. I mean they they had the best week out of any team in the conference. Yeah, Virginia Tech huge week. I 
Virginia Tech way up, Georgia Tech way down, and that's basically all we can really glean right now. Clemson, too, I'd say, was was pretty impressive. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Rutgers game is just – that's the looming game that, that Syracuse seems to have every year. It's that equivalent of going to New York City for either Barclays or MSG that they've really struggled with in the past five, six years. It's can they play up to their competition and, and play like they did when they won the Bahamas tournament and went to the Final Four? Or will they play like they have in the other sort of big first cracks at the at the Power Six games? And it's been a bad, bad stretch going back to South Carolina and Barclays. And, I mean, it just feels like anytime they've been in New York City, they've struggled. So now that it's not in New York City, maybe that benefits them a little, although it's, it's pretty close at Rutgers. So we'll do this every single week. We'll give you a little taste of the ACC. Where's Syracuse stacking up? Where do they need to get better? All that stuff. Where do they stand among the conference's best? All right, so we will do that. And then later on in the week, don't forget, tomorrow actually on the show, we're going to get you ready for Niagara. That game coming up on Thursday, but we're going to get you ready a day early for the Greg Paulus-led Purple Eagles of Niagara because we've still got plenty of football stuff to get to because Syracuse taking on Notre Dame to close out their regular season. So we will have the football preview for you for Syracuse and the Fighting Irish on Thursday. And then on Friday this week, we will recap everything that went down in the basketball game between Syracuse and Niagara. So we will have all of that for you. And on top of that, if you like this Locked On Syracuse podcast and you're also a football fan, go check out the Locked On NFL podcast as well. Because you're going to get daily podcasts there of everything NFL for you every single morning in your podcast feed. So go give them a a subscription as well and and check that out. And also, I will be on the Locked On Fighting Irish podcast this week, breaking down all things Syracuse. So you can check that out on Thursday, I believe, that's going to end up airing. Or maybe it's Friday. I got to check with them. But we will have that. We'll plug that for you guys as well when that's all out and ready. All right? So that's going to do it for the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.